0: Now, have you ever um, met somebody who um, they talked a big game, but they, they couldn't back it up? I mean, they, they said a lot, but they, they didn't, you didn't see a lot based off of what they said. When I was in college, I, I had a friend, and he bought a car for a dollar. Um, The thing had barely passed inspection and the person selling it to him just wanted to get rid of it. But I mean he was the only one of us with the car and so we were like okay we have wheels now we're not walking this is awesome we'll get into this death trap wherever you want to take us. Now when he first started driving it was a, a standard and he was pretty rough but I thought you know what as time goes on as he gets more confident behind the wheel Things will improve um, they didn 't though because he, he gained confidence, but he he kind of got worse with his confidence. And so um, my wife, Shannon, she was helping us with the youth ministry that was about 30-minute drive from away from where we lived at that time. And she would be in the back seat as he was driving us out to this place, and she would have her eyes closed the whole drive. And she's saying, I, I was praying for our safety. I don't know if that was true or not, but like, I, I, was, I was doing what I don't like to do. I was driving from the passenger seat because I felt like, you know what, I needed to do it. Um, because I'd be like, you you can't do this. You have to watch out for that. And we had so many near misses. Um, There was this one time where we were sitting in the middle of an intersection. It was yellow. It turned red. And he was perfectly content to stay in the middle of that intersection until the light turned green the next time. Now, I was just like, okay, he's, he's not getting better. But here's the thing he was convinced that he was a great driver. He would talk about how good of a driver he was, but I, I just didn't see it. And like, I'm not kidding when I say this. I think it is by the grace of God that I stand before you here today because there were so many near misses and that just kind of sped me up to buying my own car. Now, maybe you've talked to somebody who's playing a sport or, and they go, oh, I'm awesome at basketball. I was the captain of my high school team. And you're like, oh, he must be pretty good. And, and you get out onto the court with them and you're going like, how how small was your school? Because like, if you were the captain, you, your school must have been pretty bad. Like, no way you guys won games. Or maybe somebody, you're going to play pool, and they're like, do you want to want to make it interesting? You want to put a wager down? And you're like, oh, well, if you're willing to put money down, you're probably pretty good. I'm not going to do that. But then you get out and you play pool with them, and you're like, I should have made the wager because I would have cleaned up tonight. And so sometimes people can talk a big game, but there's not a lot to see. They don't They don't back it up. And sometimes we can talk a big spiritual game, but we don't back it up. Um, We can can say a lot, but we don't do a lot. And that's what kind of James is addressing in today's text. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless, and so James is, is talking about people who have a lot to say spiritually, but there isn't a lot to see and so if you took james's example and put it in today 's co- like context, it would be like this: y- You hear of somebody within the church who's in a very difficult time, they, they just don't have a lot of resources or money, and they, they can 't feed their family they 're having a hard time paying bills um, or uh, clothing and stuff like that. and we hear about it, and we go to them oh, I, um, that's too bad. I'm sorry. I hope, I hope you can get some food. Uh, I hope you can get some clothing, thoughts and prayers. Um, but you stop there, and you don't do anything about it, even though you have the means to help them. And James goes, what kind of good is that? Well, it's, it's no good. Now, James is saying that faith that doesn't lead to good deeds is dead. It's, it's a useless faith if it's all words but no action. Now the scary thing is that if, if what James is saying is if we have a dead or useless faith, that faith is powerless to save. Now some people might might get up in arms here and they would say, I think James is wrong. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it talks about how we're saved by grace through faith and not our works. And so, you know what, James can take his legalistic works righteousness and go somewhere else with it. I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith. But James, he doesn't actually disagree um, with with guys like the Apostle Paul and and the rest of Scripture on how we're saved. James would agree with them that we're saved by the grace of God. That is how we're justified. But James is answering a question that we, we don't really ever ask. What does that faith look like? What does saving faith look like? And James is saying that there are some people who have what they would call faith, but in reality, it is not faith. It is, it is something else. Now, James, he's playing a dangerous game in, in his day, and especially in our day, too, because it's like, how dare you insinuate that somebody's faith might not be genuine? What an unloving person James was. And so we, we, can, we can read that and go like, man, James, James is harsh. He is so unloving to tell people you might not be saved. Or we can read it and go, no, actually, that's, that's quite loving of James to do, to, to call us to attention to look at what our faith is and, and what we're placing our faith in. And so we have to decide if we're going to listen to what James is going to say here. And a verse that comes up a lot when we're talking about faith is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. As faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen, it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And that is a great verse, a great definition of faith. But the problem is when you take that verse, you isolate it alone as the definition of faith, you don't bring it into the context of other scripture, what it seems is that that faith is just this thing of the mind, that faith is purely intellect, that it, it isn't part of any other realm. But here's the question, can faith just be a thing of the mind and nothing else? And James sets out to give us an answer to that question in verses 18 and following. He says, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Now maybe you've been kind of having a deep spiritual conversation with somebody and and you kind of get to the topic of eternal life and you go, do you think... um, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Do you, do you, do you believe um, that, that you're going to um, be in heaven? And, and they might go, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I believe in God. Or yeah, I, I believe there, that there is a heaven. And often intellectual acceptance of truths is confused for being faith. Um, to the, To the person who says, You know what I believe in God i 've got a faith james 's response to them is like congratulations you 've got the same theological beliefs as demons like that 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 is not good. It sounds kind of harsh, but a mere belief in God or agreement with some Christian teachings is not a saving faith we aren 't saved because we agree that something is true. Faith is Faith is a confidence in God based upon his word that leads me to act in accordance with his will. Faith is of the mind and of the heart, whereas mental assent, um, just simple intellectual agreement, it's purely of the mind. We believe facts about something, but it doesn't have any bearing on our lives. It doesn't really affect the way we live. Now, think of it this way. For the first 20 years of my life, I grew up and I was told, Pluto is a planet. That's what I was taught in school. 2006 rolls along, and the scientists go, "Ah, uh, actually, it's not a planet at all. It's a dwarf planet. And so I was like, okay. That, that's a little weird that we're changing things, but okay. What, what happened to me after that? I just accepted it as being true, and I moved on. Like, my agreement with that fact did not impact my life whatsoever. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to have to go reconsider my life in light of the fact that Pluto is no longer a planet. I just kind of accepted it and went on with life. However, we would call that intellectual assent or agreement. Now, if you were to come to me and you were to say, Christianity is not true, and you you, pr- you gave indisputable proof that it was not true, that, that it's all a lie. And I'm not really worried about that because I believe the evidence actually supports the truth of Christianity. Um, but say you come and you, you have this proof. Uh, Jesus is still in the grave. Uh, God does not exist. This, this whole thing is a farce. And, and you just prove it. That would wreck me. That would destroy me. That, that would just mess me up. Because it's not just going like, ah, what am I going to do the next day? I've devoted my life and my ministry to this thing that turned out to be a lie. It wouldn't just be that. It would be, what what is the purpose of life now? What is the meaning of life? Who am I as a man, as a husband, as a father? Like, it, it would just disorient me if Christianity were not true. Um... I've built my life around this belief that God's word is true and that God is true to his word. I I live in light of the fact that Jesus has died but also resurrected. And so you might go and like, you think your life would be that messed up if it turned out to be not true? Like, aren't you being a little over dramatic here? But I, I don't think so, because if we profess to be a Christian and we're going, you know what, you wouldn't be that messed up, you'd get over a given time. I think we need to do some introspection because we build our lives on our faith. Like we shouldn't be able to say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. I go to church, but I keep that separate from the rest of my life. Like here's my faith and here's everything else. They're separate. If what we profess in this hour on Sunday morning does not affect the other 167 hours of our week. Something is not right because our faith, it should lead to changes in our uh, our, our attitudes and our affections, which lead to changes in our actions. Our faith should define how we How we conduct our relationships, our finances, our priorities, our interests, our goals. Now one pastor, he said, who you believe God is will determine what you think God will do. But it's it's not only that. Who you think God is will determine what you do. And so if I believe that God is love, I'm going to love others. If I believe that God is generous towards me, I'm going to be generous towards others. If I believe God is for life, I am going to be for life. I will speak for those who do not have a voice for themselves. If I believe God's word is true, I will value truth. I will look at God's word, I will pursue it, I will believe there are things that are indisputable truths, regardless of what the culture says is is subjectively true to each individual person. If I believe God hates evil, I will avoid evil, I will pursue what is right. If I believe God is kind, I will avoid abuse. If I believe God is gracious towards me, I will will do my best to extend grace towards other people. And here's what I'm saying. We show what we truly believe by our actions. We do what we do because of what we believe. Now, I have a friend who is always late. Like, I don't think he has the ability to be on time. I, I just don't think he does. Um, some people know who i 'm talking about i 'm not going to name them. They might go to this church. Um, but every once in a while we 'll make plans to do something we 'll say let's let 's go to a movie at six o'clock let 's grab coffee let 's do something we 'll say six o 'clock and so six o 'clock we 'll we'll, we'll come around i 'm still at home and Shannon's like why aren 't you there yet you 're supposed to meet them at this time and i said he 's not going to be there till six twenty at least, like I, I'm not aiming for, like I'm going for 610, 615, that's still going to give me time to spare, because like my experience with him just shows me like he cannot be on time, he does not possess that ability, and so my actions show what I believe about my friend's ability to be on time. We could do that like that, that classic trust exercise, I could bring somebody up here, and I could say to them, um, if you fall backwards, do you believe that I, I could catch you? And you would say, "Yeah, well, you look—you look big enough, strong enough. You're ruggedly handsome." And so, yes, yes, I believe you could. And I would say, "Thank you." And then I would say, "Do you believe that I would catch you if you fall backwards?" And you might say, "Yes." And if you say yes to that, I would say, "Okay, fall backwards." And your willingness to fall backwards—that's going to show whether you believe that I would. And could catch you. And so, (sighs) in the same way, a person's life will look a certain way when they believe that God's word is true, and that God is true to his word. And James uses two people from Israel's history to prove this. Abraham, um, kind of the hero of, of, of their faith. And so Abraham is called by God to leave his home, to go to this land that God has promised. Abraham doesn't really know what it is or what it will look like, but he goes. And God is like, I'm going to make you uh, and your wife. You're going to have so many descendants that they'll be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham and Sarah, they're old, they're barren, don't see really how this is possible, but they believe. God gives them a son, Isaac, and and like they're they're a hundred when Isaac is born. And then years pass, and God says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham knows that God has said that the the promise of of descendants is going to come through Isaac. And so Abraham is prepared to go and sacrifice Isaac because he believes that even if he were to kill Isaac, God had the power to bring him back to life. Now God stops Abraham before he did this, but Abraham's faith in God led him to action. In Romans chapter 4, verse 21, it says, Abraham was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Then he, he lists um, somebody that might be kind of surprising to find in like a, a, a role model in a biblical text, but he, he lists Rahab the prostitute. Now, James is not endorsing her occupation, but he's u- simply using her as an example. And, and he says, Rahab, she, she is this, this prostitute who lives in the city of Jericho. And, and she believes the stories about God, this God who has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, endured them in the wilderness for 40 years. He has helped them conquer these different cities and places within the land that he has promised to give them. Rahab believes all these stories, and she helps the Israelite spies. She hides them. She sends her own people who are searching for the spies away in a different direction and helps them, the Israelite spies, escape. And because of her faith in God, when the, the walls of Jericho came down, Rahab and her family were saved. And I want to encourage you, go home and read through Hebrews chapter 11. You're going to see that, that faith causes God's people to live differently from the rest of the world. God's people are making sacrifices, building arcs, walking through seas, conquering cities, Fighting giants, enduring fiery furnaces, winning unwinnable battles. They're doing these things that don't really make sense to us unless you're viewing them through the lens of faith. And so, my point is if what we profess to believe does not affect the way that we live, what we might think is faith might not be alive. That might be dead. That might be useless. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. We talked about this, this a little earlier, but I want to look at these verses, and, and they're well known. But Paul writes, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you t- can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And, and, and Paul saying faith is is the basis of our justification before God. We are not saved by the good things we do, but God has saved us and enables us and has planned for us to do good things. And so God's people, they build their lives around this confidence that God's word is true and that God is true to his word, and that confidence leads them to act in accordance with God's will. And so here's the question. We're done with we're done with James's section here, like James kind of moves on to another thought after this, and and the problem is if you if you read through that, you, you don't really see that James is giving a call to action, like there, there's not really like okay in light of what I've said here's what you are to do. There's nothing specific, and so we're kind of left we're kind of left to come up with one on our own is what it feels like. And so how do we apply James's warning about? Um, our faith, whether it might be dead and useless. Now, one, one thing we could do is just kind of be complacent about it and go, you know what, James is talking about other people. I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I have done plenty of good things. I know I'm going to heaven. This is for people who have false faith. And we can, we can just kind of be complacent about it. Um, a second response might be the total opposite. And we, we actually realize that what we were calling faith has only been intellectual assent. We've agreed with some Christian t- teachings, but kind of left it at that. We haven't actually acted on them. And if, if you're going, that, that's, that's me, I would love to talk to you. Greg would love to talk to you about um, what faith is and, and taking that next step, accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you want to do that, just grab me or Greg after the service. But I want to talk um, primarily to the Christians because this is one of those texts and there are some of those texts in the bible that you read and they just they create this anxiety within you a little bit of worry and doubt because we begin to play this game in our head am i saved am i really a christian am i am i going to heaven i don't know if my my faith leads me to deeds and because of of questions like this some Christians spend their lives perpetually worried and in doubt about their salvation they feel no joy they feel no security in Christ and, and that's not God's desire for you now some Christians they read this they they don't they might go oh I'm not sure and so they respond differently they don't live in doubt and worry but they they respond with work and they start working themselves to the bone and they are they are a part of every ministry opportunity. They're constantly serving. They're constantly doing something to the point of exhaustion. But, but the question for them probably always remains, how much work is enough to prove that I'm the real deal? How much work is enough to prove that my faith is genuine? And James would say, like, you know what? You're actually getting that backwards because it's not the works that produce faith. It's faith that produces the works. And so understand, if you are a Christian, my goal this morning is not to make you worry and doubt about your salvation and whether you're going to heaven. My goal is not to say, you know what, you need to work harder to prove that you have genuine faith. That's, that's not my goal. I want to suggest something that I believe is necessary for every believer regardless of how many years in you have, regardless of how confident you are in your salvation, regardless of how mature you are as a believer. And so the problem we're looking at here this morning that James is bringing up is that some people have a dead and useless faith. And so I need you to hear me on this. You can't have a living faith if you're starving spiritually. You can't have a living faith if you're starving spiritually in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, he, he was just baptized by John the Baptist. He goes out into the wilderness, and he's out there for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's fasting. Um, and at the end of it, he's, he's tired. He's hungry. Like, I can't even imagine. I go in afternoon, I skip a meal, and I'm like, I'm destroyed. He's, he's been fasting for this, this extended season. And then Satan strikes at this opportune time. And he knows Jesus is hungry and he comes to him and he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus responds in verse 4 and he says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus is saying that real life, real life, it comes directly from God and trusting his word and so, just as a healthy man is going to grow weak if he doesn't get the right nourishment, our faith is going to grow weak if we're not feeding on the Word of God. You, like you, you are never healthy, never healthy when you stop eating altogether. And our faith, it will only grow in strength and strengthen when fed regularly from the Word of God. And uh, here's the thing I am convinced that so many of the things that, that hinder us as Christians and as the church would not be such an issue if we were actually in the word of God as much as we should be, if we were reading our Bibles, because there's no supplement for the word of God. There just isn't. Um, but too often, we're trying to get by on this, this diet of, of worship services. And I'm not saying they're not good. I'm not saying they're not important. But we're trying to use worship services and pithy Christian sayings alone to sustain our faith. And it's like, ah, I'm going to get, this situation comes up. And frog, fully rely on God. How do you rely on a God that you don't really know? What would Jesus do? I don't know. You better read the Bible to find out. Like, we're trying to get by on a diet of things that don't really feed our faith. And so without a steady diet of God's word, our faith is going to be anemic. And here's my point. I'm not saying to read God's word to know more about God so that you could pass a Bible knowledge test. I want you to read God's word so that you know God. I want us to be a church who, who knows God and not just a church who knows about God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says God's word is alive and God's word is powerful And these are not just words that are are about God. These are words from God, as if God were here now speaking them to you. And through his word, that's where we gain a, a, a strong faith. That's where our faith becomes alive and powerful And in God's word, we see who he is. We see what God desires. We see what God wants. We see the things that God does, the things that he promises. And knowing that will change the way that I speak to God through prayer and the things that I pray for. That will change the way that I interact with his spirit on a daily basis. And that will change the way that I interact with others. My faith will lead me to pursue God's glory and the good of others. And so my encouragement is read God's word daily feast on it get a reading plan don't just open it up randomly like oh what's it going to be today get a plan to read it nothing will strengthen your faith like god's word and please understand my, my goal here is not for you to spend your life worrying and doubting working harder to prove that you are the real deal god calls us in his word to rest in who he is and who we are to him and then we live in response to that relationship I've been reading a book, it's called Saving Casper, and it's this conversation between a Christian named Jim and an atheist named Casper, and it's a follow-up book actually to a book that was called Jim and Casper Go to Church, and so they went to all these churches and primarily mega churches, but they would have these conversations afterwards about Casper's impressions of the church, and, and Casper asked some really good questions, but this, this book, it led them to go on a tour, and they had a lot of speaking events, primarily within churches, Christian colleges, and stuff like that, and so people would get up during question time, and they'd go, Jim, the, to, the, to the Christian, they'd go, Jim, why have you not converted Casper yet? And Jim would be like, I, I don't know, I'm witnessing, I'm, do- I'm doing my best, and then they would set out to give arguments as to why Casper... Um, should become a Christian and, and try and prove it to them. And Casper's and not, not a dumb guy. Like he, he, they, they were bringing some weak arguments, and he was able to, to refute them. But often when these Christians would get upset, they, they, they saw they could not bring Casper to their side. Their last resort was this, well, have fun in hell. But And seriously, and Jim goes, I, I was ashamed, ashamed of how many Christians said that to Casper. But Casper, he talks about one event that had an impact on him, and they were, they were speaking at uh, a college, and his mother, who was dying of cancer at the time, had come to hear her son uh, speak. And he says this, one significant thing that really stands out about this particular leg of our journey is a young woman who took a very active interest in me and my mom. Maybe it was the Christian respect your elders thing, but she just seemed genuinely interested and caring without any kind of agenda. Of course, professional me, marketing me, saw it a little differently at first, thinking, what's her angle here? But it turns out she was just following her heart as she told me her heart belonged to God in many ways. This was kind of an aha moment for me. Granted, she had read our book and was there to hear us speak, but her behavior was all about simply caring. And it was driven by her faith, which as far as I could tell, simply said, care about others. It was a pretty big deal to me then and remains so now, perhaps because she was caring for, enough, for others without caring about whether or not she was seen or, or heard about. It's moments like these that I find the most impactful. When someone cares for someone else and needs no credit or recognition. I mean, you don't need a bunch of T-shirts to proclaim, I participated in Clean Up a Poor Neighborhood Day 2013. You just need to clean up the neighborhood. If anyone notices or gives you an attaboy, well, that's just frosting on the cake. And, And what made an impact on Casper was that he could see that the faith that this young woman professed was leading her to act. It was affecting the way she lived. And so what good is it, church, When we say we have faith and we show it by our actions, it is very good. Let's pray.